Because God is not in control, but he does have a plan. Which could be very offensive to some people. And so, my point in, in this title was to grab attention, not to necessarily offend anybody, just for the sake of offending anybody. I actually want to teach some spiritual truths here, and I actually want people to understand some real concepts. Um, my heart is not to be in division. My heart really is to, is to help us grow. And, and we have some bad thinking that um, causes us, as a Christian uh, community, as a body of Christ, to be extremely passive. And that is the statement that God is in control. When we say God is in control, that basically means, I don't have to worry about nothing. I don't have to do anything. It's an extreme way of saying, I'm exempt from holding any responsibility. Alright, so when, if we don't, if we don't um, take this phrase very seriously, um, it can destroy us. It's already starting to destroy us. You know, Christians, they don't even want to go vote anymore because, oh, God's in control. You know, they don't want to do things, uh, they don't want to go preach the gospel because God is in control. So there's certain things that this, this phrase, this cliche, it's a song, God is in control, you know, and I, well, that can sometimes uplift people, you know, in their lives when they're going through tar- hard times. Uh, the truth is that this teaching becomes to the point where it actually teaches passivity. It's kind of like when people say, um, preach the gospel, always, but and if you have to, use words. Well, listen, the scripture is very clear that salvation, um, it, that faith only comes by hearing. And so if I go and demonstrate a Christian lifestyle, how are they going to be able to, de- how are they going to, be able to tell the difference between being a Christian and being a Buddhist? You know, see, Buddhism doesn't have the answer to their salvation of what makes them the righteousness of God, but Jesus does. So preaching with words is necessary. And if we just say, well, God is in control, that's going to keep us from preaching the gospel. If we say God is in control, that's going to, pre- that's going to keep us from doing our responsibility. So, I'm going, to, I'm going to read a couple scriptures here. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So, it's very clear. That, and by the way, a lot of people, there's a scripture that talks about when Jesus is getting arrested, and he says, um, I believe it's uh, John 12, 31. And it says, And if I am... This is right here. Check this out. Jesus answered and said, this, vo- this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is, the ju- now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Okay, so Jesus said that in John, right? And that was before he died. And he was talking about how the evil one would be cast out. Okay, well the problem with this thinking that like the devil is absolutely non-existent or that the devil, um, his teeth has been torn out and things like that. The problem with that thinking is that all throughout the rest of the New Testament, first John is talking to the church after Jesus died and rose again. And he's going and sent it to the Father. So First John 5.19 is saying that the world right now, after the resurrected Jesus has ascended into heaven, right now that the world is under the control of the evil one. So Jesus dying and rise again, it was supposed to cast the devil out, right? And it does cast the devil out. But it's not just that. There, watch this. John 14 says, 
if you, whoever believes in me will do the same things I've been doing and greater things will he do because I'm going to the Father. See, Jesus knew that his job wasn't done yet. So when he died and rose again and went to heaven, it was now our turn. See, while God's not in control, he does have a plan. And his plan is not some mysterious thing. Well, something's just going to happen and it's just going to all of a sudden work out. That's not the plan of God. God has written out his plan. And it's in your Bible. Get your Bibles out. This is the plan right here. The plan is you. You are the plan. You are the plan. Like if Jesus was really, if God was really in control of everything, you know, and if I'm a man and I come up to you and I'll shoot you in the face, God's not in control of me. I use this example all the time. God is not in control of me. If I come up here and, and, and I go rape somebody, God is not in control. The evil one is in control. You see? I'm being, another, another translation says that this, the control is being swayed. Look, if there was absolute control, you wouldn't be able to be swayed. If there was absolute control, you would not be able to be swayed. Your heart couldn't be hardened. Your heart, your heart needs to be soft towards the Lord. Now God, listen, I'm not saying that God doesn't have infinite wisdom and isn't able to work all things towards the good of those who love Him. Romans 8 says that. That God, uh, you know, He's always working the good. Uh, let's go to Romans 8. Where's my other Bible, man? I'll just read this one. This is good. <coughs> Romans 8. We know that all things work together for the good... Of, uh, to those who love God. So, and, and look at that. Listen, you, to, understand, to understand God's plans, you have to understand covenant. You have to understand covenant. God doesn't work on the behalf of anybody who's not in covenant with Him. Okay? It says, for, now this is the weird thing. You know, the Bible says, don't love the world, right? And then the Bible says that for God so loved the world, right? It's so funny. Uh, this is it's Jesus, man. Jesus is the answer to that paradox. Don't love the world, but love the world. Okay? Look, you love the world because you love people and you want them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus so they'll become in right standing with God, so they'll be forgiven of their sin and, and receive mercy. But you don't love the world because the world is un under the control of the evil one. When you love the world as far as the world and its evil desires and... Uh, what it has to offer you, the worldly offerings, you're loving the devil. And it says in the scripture, in James chapter 4, verse 4, I believe, it says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hatred towards God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So, listen, we, we have to understand, um, there's this level where we love the world, but we don't love the world, okay? There's this amazing paradox here. And we don't love the world and what it has to offer. Watch this. First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, Do not love this world, nor the things in it, or nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not love the uh, you do not have the love of, father, of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. 
These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does, not, who does what pleases God will live forever. Um, Matthew 16 says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for his soul? So, we're talking, listen, here's the plan. God has a plan. And His plan is us, okay? And to be a part of this plan, we can't love the world and what it has to offer us. We can't love, basically, the world and what it offers. Okay? That's the best way to describe that. For us to be a part of this plan, we cannot love the world and what it offers. Because when we love the world and what it offers, we begin to compromise. Compromise. This is so, so dangerous. This right here, this is the leaven of the Pharisees. Okay? And, and you don't have to be in church to be compromising this. You don't have to be a religious, not Bible-thumping Christian that's religious, self-righteous type person that Jesus is talking to when he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. All you have to be is have a cultural agreement. A cultural agreement that's accepted by the masses okay, that is anti-God and Jesus and His holiness, all right? Whenever, when you start compromising this, listen, let me put it this way. We've got hypocrites, okay? And people always say, well, I don't go to church because what I'm trying to describe here is you don't have to dress the part to be the Pharisee. You don't have to be in church to be a Pharisee, okay? You don't have to be in church to be a hypocrite. A hypocrite is anyone, anyone who doesn't judge himself before he judges his brother. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is anyone who judges himself, who does not judge himself before the others, and because he's judging others in their wrong deeds or whatever he thinks are, are wrong, he separates themselves simply because he's hateful towards them and wants to judge them and wants them to fail. Okay? Um, so anyway, we have this... Anyway, I kind of got off there. My point is, we can't be loving the world and... And, and expect to be able to really be used to our max potential, okay? And, and the scripture says it's even worse than that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sugarcoating that. Man, the scripture is clear, man. I love the world's enmity towards God. That's so clear. All right, check this out. Romans uh, <clears throat> 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and... <clears throat> proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Um, we have to remember, the whole, the whole reason I even started this study was I was actually not talk, wanting to talk about who was in control. I was actually wanting to talk about who... Like, where do we belong, you know? I, I felt like the Lord show, showed me this word this morning. Um, uh, I just, it just kind of hit me. This, this truth was starting to resonate in me of, that we're not of this world. You know, we're, we're in the middle of this whole election thing. And, you know, a lot of times people use um, the fact that we're not of this world as a cop-out for not being involved in our, in our everyday lives. And that's hard, man, because I, I've, I've thought that way before. You know, where... Um, where like I didn't want to go vote or I didn't want to be a part of it because I didn't trust the people and 
I didn't feel like they had anything to do with me. But listen, Christians, Christians are the voice of God. Now, whether or not you represent Him well or not, that's between you and God. That's where God's sovereignty comes in. See, God's sovereignty doesn't mean that He controls everything. God's sovereignty just means everybody's going to have to answer Him one day. Ultimately, everyone will answer God one day. That is the sovereignty of God. That's how His will will be accomplished because, see, God is a just God. God cares about justice. He cares about justice. He has a system He set up. We broke it. We will pay. Jesus paid it for us. And if we'll receive His gift, we're exempt from that judgment. But if not, then everyone else will burn. And that's just the truth. Everything else, all the wheat in the shaft is going to burn. And those who are made righteous will not burn. They'll burn, but they won't be burning and being consumed. You know, because they're holy. Listen, we're already messed up. You know, people get upset with me. They say, well, man, are you telling me that if I don't accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior that I'm going to hell? No, you're already going to hell. Jesus is your lifeline. Like, it's like, that's like being on a Titanic, watching people in the water freezing to death and drowning and throwing out a life vest and, and them saying, are you telling me that if I don't grab this life vest that I'm going to die? No, I think you're just an idiot now. Because you're not aware of your surroundings. Do you not realize that you're in freezing water? And that's the truth. The wool has been pulled over people's eyes. They are blind. They don't realize where they are at. They don't understand that they're in a freezing water, about to drown and die of hypothermia. So we throw out the lifeline because we have, off, we have the opportunity for them to grab salvation. It's not offended. Who would be offended? If you're in the water and you know you're dying in the water and you're fully aware of what's happening and then you throw out the... Now, let's say that you're so cold you start losing consciousness and that life preserver just smacks you upside the head. Well, then you might be upset. Why did that thing hit me in the head? Well, you're so delirious now because you're so far into it, you don't know what's going on. That's what, that's what sin does, man. Sin is so delirious. It makes you delirious. You don't even know that you're in it anymore. Does that make sense? You know what sin is? Sin is like my, my baby who pulls open his diaper and paints the walls with it and eats it and then goes back for more. That's what sin is. But we as parents, we look at it and we say, that's nasty. Right? But people who are in it, they don't know they're in it. So it takes love, you know? It takes love and gentleness, you know? And sometimes a spanking to correct, you know? But it's all love. You see what I'm saying? I'm a guy real long. Man, I got onto this, baby. Jesus is awesome. So, the thing is, we, man, I'm, God is not in control of everything, but He does have a plan. And the plan is to use us. And here's the deal we can sit here with the election and we can say, this stinks, man. We didn't have any good <coughs> people voting, or we didn't have any good um, candidates this year. Or why did I have to choose between Trump or Hillary? Let me tell you why. Because we live in a democratic nation. They get to exercise their right to vote. And they vote what's in their heart. So that's why we got stuck with these two possibilities. Because of what's in people's hearts. You want to know how to fix this? It's not with politics. 
It's simple. You share the gospel with words regardless of your actions. Because listen here. If I've got an addiction and I can't stop it simply because I don't know some truths in the gospel, but Jesus saved me, I'm going to go on the pre. If, I, if, 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 if Jesus has saved me and I know it's the truth, then I shouldn't allow my sin to hinder me from preaching the gospel from self, self-righteous punk on the street who wants to call me a hypocrite because I'm a Christian and I have a hang-up. The guy on the street's just as so much of a hypocrite because he thinks he's got it all together and he's not judging his own life. So when I go out there and preach the good news of Jesus and the guy on the street's getting offended because now I'm called, because he feels like the light's being shed on his darkness... Okay? The truth is, the hypocrite's the one who doesn't want to repent. That's what a hypocrite is. Listen, a hypo- this is a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who doesn't want to repent. That's a hypocrite. Hypocrites can be in church or they can be on the street. We're all, we're all susceptible to this. Okay? We've got to share the gospel with words. I don't care what your gifting is. Love. Love. You know why we don't share the gospel? Because we're afraid. I didn't want to post this video because I was afraid. Love gets rid of fear. Love not, it doesn't equal fear. Love. Sorry. I'm sorry. Love. Perfect love casts out fear. Man, if I really love people, I will cast out all my fear and I'll go preach the gospel. If I really love people, I will throw aside my fear and I'll go and try to rescue them and I'll bring them the life preserver, Jesus Christ, and I'll throw it out to them while they're in the water. That's love. You want to know how to change this? You want to know how to change this? You change this. You change this right here. We need, you know what? We need an eight-year campaign. For the next eight years. And it doesn't stop in eight years. I'm saying every time we have an election, we need another eight-year long campaign. Where we go preach the gospel. We go propagandize. What is it called when they go on platforms and speak? Campaign. That's what it is. Campaign. We're going to go campaigning. (coughs) For Jesus. To reign. Listen, you know what? Everybody keeps saying it. Je- everybody, I see it on Facebook all over. Jesus reigns. Jesus is the ruler. Listen, yes, Jesus is the ruler, but... Okay, listen. God's sovereignty, okay, means that His plan will work out in the end no matter what. That's what a lot of people teach. And I, I agree with part of that, okay? Here's what I agree with. His justice will be served no matter what. His law will be upheld no matter what. The question is, because you can sit here, like, check this out. If you're using this phrase to let yourself be passive, well, God is in control. Here's the problem with that statement. You are equivalent. Okay, if if you say, well, God's in control, I don't got to do anything, God's in control. You're passive. You know what you just said? Jesus tells a parable about this guy with the talents. It's the guy who had the one talent that buried it in the sand. He buried it in the sand. And what did Jesus say? Jesus came back to this guy and said, so where's what what I gave you? And the man pulled out the towel and said, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you do not sow 
So therefore I hid my talent in the ground so that I could so I have something to give back to you. I was, he was afraid. Fear. Fear is not faith. Fear will send you to hell, buddy. Fear will send you to hell. The one talent guy, you know what happened to him? He went to hell. He went to hell. Because he was given something and he didn't do anything with it. He says, cast him out with the unbelievers where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Cast him out. Man. God is in control. That's what that doctrine teaches right there. Let's all be the one talent guy. Yeah, God is in control. Let's all be the one talent guy. We don't do nothing because Jack Diddley squat because God is, we'll just be passive and do nothing. That's not our calling. What's up, buddy? Is there, is there like a specific scripture that, that, that the statement God is in control <coughs> comes from? There's all kinds of scriptures in the Old Testament and stuff. talks about if it be thy will and things like that. And we but there's about no, like, like point blank one that no. the, the people who, like, really push that statement... No, I have one, though, that to. says the devil is in control. <laughs> oh, no, 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 so, I'm, like, I totally agree with this. I'm just, I'm trying to think in my head, like, where did they get, <coughs> like, where does that notion come from scripturally, or is it just, like, you know, the, the excuse for the flesh, like, the provision of the flesh? Well, you got, like, jo Joseph, for instance. Whenever Joseph was in Egypt, Calvinism. One, one, of, one of the teachings is Joseph. He was in uh, Egypt, and when his brothers threw him into the pit, and he went into slavery, and then he went into prison, and then he became second in command. He looked at his disciples, and he said to them, I mean, he went to his brothers, and he said to them, you meant it for evil, but God, but God meant it for good. So here's the, what people do is they say, well, see, God was in control. No, no, no. no. God gave Joseph a vision. Yeah, and Joseph, gave could've, him a, Joseph could've given up. Yes. Like, he could've slept with Potiphar's wife. That's right. Joseph was obedient and faithful. God doesn't move through people that aren't faithful. Look, look. God gave, God gave Joseph a dream. And you know what? That dream, whether Joseph fully understood it or not, was the salvation of nations. God gave this dream to him when he was a boy. And, and basically was trying to give him a hint to his future that one day you're going to save the nations. Man, Joseph is a type and shadow of Jesus. This is so awesome. So salvation of the nations. So he gave them this dream. And guess what? He shared his dream. And then the world hated him. Watch this. Can I show you this? Listen. The devil, the evil one is in control of the world. Watch this. The world, watch this. If you belong to the world, John 15, 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Okay, so listen. When we start, listen, if the world doesn't hate you, thank you, Jesus. If the world doesn't hate you, are you even following Jesus? Yeah. Listen, when Joseph got that dream, it was a dream that told him he would save the nations. He didn't even understand it fully. He just saw people bowing down to him. But that's what God was going to do. So listen, God didn't have to use the story that Joseph went through to get him to second command. All he had to do was be a shepherd boy one day, go down through Egypt one day, and then meet, uh, meet the baker or, or whatever, and, and see him on the way to jail, and then interpret their dreams for them. He didn't have to be in jail for that to happen. God could, if God is the master orchestrator, he could have orchestrated it a million different ways. 
right? No, it was the fact that he had a dream. The world hated it. And God's word prevailed because Joseph remained faithful. Listen, that's the key right there. When God gives you a seed, anything can thwart that seed. Anything. But the gardener, which is you, you have to guard in your heart. You have to bury the seed, cultivate it, water it, set it on. And you have to make sure that it is successful. Does that make sense? That's why the Bible doesn't say that it's up to God for your salvation. It says it's up to the soil. Listen, in Matthew chapter 13, it talks about the sower. Oh, that's not magnet on that one. Matthew, watch this. Matthew chapter 13, I believe. It talks about the sower and the seed. Look, the seed was always good. The sower was always good. It was the soil. The soil that's the problem. So if we want, it's not a matter of whether or not God is going to have his way in the end. Yes, God is going to have his way in the end. That's called the sovereignty of God. But in the middle, you get to pick how we get there. You get to pick whether or not you want to be on the winning side. You get to pick whether or not you want to be on the losing side. We all start on the losing side. But thank you, Jesus, for dying for us to give us an opportunity to be on the winning side. It is mercy and grace. The truth is, we don't even deserve this chance. We don't even deserve this chance. The moment I sinned for the very first time, I should have burned in hell from forever. Right then. We don't even deserve this chance to make this mistake. The, the opportunity for mistake is mercy. It's whenever you're sitting in the other room listening to your brothers and sisters. I mean, listening to your kids in the other room arguing and fighting. And you know everything that's going down. And you're just giving them an opportunity to make things right before you go in there. Or you even say, Children, are y'all fighting? Don't make me come in there. That's mercy. You're giving them this extension of mercy so they can make things right before you show up. You know? Anyway, man, it's awesome. God is good. John 7, 17, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, that they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. <coughs> um, the devil is in control of the world. Ephesians, go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of, e of evil uh, in the heavenly realms. We have a task. We have a task. If it wasn't over, it was over, but it wasn't over. Okay? When God said something, we have to follow through with what His Word says. Our battles against evil powers. And these evil powers are still here. Why are we called to go make disciples? Look, this is our task, man. This is the advancing of the kingdom of God. Our job. We are not doing this. We are getting spiritually obese. We go into the church... I don't know how to spell this. I'm just spelling obese. 
O-B-E-S-E. Okay. Spiritually obese. We go in church, we eat the word, and we get spiritually fat. And the pew sinks beneath us, and we go nowhere, and we never burn off the word that we have. Man, it's a, it's a, anyway. You know why Christians aren't healthy? They, because first of all, they have a bad, they have malnutrition, they don't get in the word enough. No output. There's no and there's no exercise. That's the two things. Listen, your diet is number one. Always. You can almost always fix your health problems with your diet. And then exercise is number two. Christians are not healthy today, spiritually, because they don't have a good diet of the Word of God, and they don't exercise by preaching the gospel. That's our number one job in the world, is to go make disciples. That is the, that's your purpose. You want to know why you feel so purposeless? Because you're not preaching and making gospel, making disciples. Like, that's our purpose. It's, man, you're talking about the puzzle piece of your life. The thing that makes you fit. We're talking about the thing that makes you ring. You make disciples, and we make disciples with our words and our actions. Both together. Our nation's in trouble because Christians are spiritually unfit. And we want to blame Obama. Like it's his fault. We put him there. We want to blame Bush. It's our fault. We put him there. We want to blame Trump. It's our fault. We put him there. We want to blame Hillary. It's our fault. We put him there. Listen, man. <clears throat> we need to stop being so concerned about who's in the Oval Office. And we need to be more concerned about who's in the office of everyone's heart. We have to have a spiritual campaign. Jesus needs to reign. Listen, Jesus is not reigning. He's not reigning. See, that's the, the devil is reigning. He, our battles against the devil. He is in the world. Out, we are bringing the reign of the kingdom of God. See, the, the king of kings reigns right here in my heart. When I walk into a room, his kingdom is now trumping every other kingdom in the room. Okay? But if I don't bring him there, he won't be there either. See what I'm saying? And then I've got to go plant a flag in someone else's heart where I make a stronghold for the kingdom of God in their heart and in their life and make a disciple that they're unshakable, immovable. So when I leave, they can stay and remain when the devil comes and attacks their life. Why? Because the devil's not dead yet. He's not been cast out 100% yet. He's still in the world, still controlling the world. We have an assignment. This is my point. We have an assignment to come against the devil. God is not in control, but he does have a plan to get control back. And we're a part of that plan. He wants to reign and rule in our hearts. And if we'll go and teach other people what it means for the God to reign and rule in their hearts, then God will be in control. God will have his law in our hearts and we'll be obedient to it. If the Holy Spirit is truly reigning in our hearts. And we're teaching true teachings, not just what makes us feel good. You know? Come on, Jesus is awesome. Uh... Dear friends, I warn you, First, uh, first Peter second, uh, 2, verse 11 to 12. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, 
to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. Be careful to live uh, properly among your unbelieving neighbors. This is good. Then ever, if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Where's that at? This is First Peter two eleven through twelve. Why is it so important to not only preach the gospel but to live a righteous life, so that the world cannot really blame us? But right now, Christians compromise. The Christians are compromising. So-called Christians compromise on a daily basis their walk. And they say things they shouldn't say. And they have foul talk. And they talk like everybody else. And they do like everybody else does. And look, this scripture verse does not align with what... They can't say good things about us. You know? We gotta speak the truth. I gotta speak the truth today. And this ain't no cakewalk. You know? This is hurtful. This hurts people. I'm sure there's people who probably never watch me again. Whatever. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is watching me right now and he's happy. You know? But, I'm telling you, we've got to live a right life. I'm going to read this again. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then ever, if they accuse you of wrongdoing, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Now, we're not even talking about in this world right now. We're talking about at the judgment day. When those people look at your life and you've chosen to live an uncompromised life, living for Jesus Christ, 100% sold out, preaching the gospel, living a righteous life, not compromising, then when you're judged, they'll honor God. And they'll say, you know what? They'll actually honor God. That guy in my life who lived right and preached the gospel. Wow. That's what I want, man. I want the thousands of people that rejected me to stand before God one day and give God honor for the way I demonstrated my life. Jesus is awesome. Um, so anyway, this is a hard word. I'm going to end right there, but God is not in control of the right now. Like he, he, We've got to let Him be in control of us. And that takes humility. We come back to the same thing every time. Humility. We must humble ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. We need to humble ourselves. <clears throat> humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, He will exalt us. And the scripture actually says that the meek will inherit the earth. Did you know that God doesn't even... He wants to reign in your heart and wants you to reign the world. God never wanted to be in control of the world. He created men and gave them a dominion over the world. That was his original intent. Then we forfeited it to the enemy. The enemy is now in control. And now Jesus bought it for us so we could get it back. And that's a whole other teaching. A 45 minute teaching I'm not going to go into right now. But I have it on, I'll share with you guys sometime. And I've got it on YouTube and Facebook. On the authority of the believer. You need to look this up. Authority and dominion. Sorry, this is like sideways. Of the believer. Anyway, let's pray. I'm going to pray for our nation. I'm going to pray for this whole house. And
Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts. I thank you, Father, that we can just submit to you and let you reign. Because, Father, you're not reigning here, and that's our fault as Christians. We need to go out and bring your reign. We need to bring your kingdom. Father, teach us what it means to just submit to your word and to get rid of all of our what's comfortable to us. And let us just love you with all of our heart and love people and want to see people who are dying and perishing to come to know you. Father, let us take your kingdom out there, not just here, not just up in heaven, but right here and out. Father, we, you said in your word that, we, that we, you, you, you told the disciples, Jesus said, you'll see the, the, the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's the, like the ladder to heaven. Heaven has been opened to us by Jesus. And now that same Jesus lives inside of us. We're bringing heaven, Father. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us what it means to bring heaven into earth so that your kingdom can truly reign. Because it will never reign in America unless it's reigning in the hearts of the people first. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.